Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. January 6th, defendants are having their lives totally destroyed and being treated worse than terrorists and murderers, despite most being charged with parading through the Capitol. Most people should not be treated the way they're being treated. And if I become president someday, if I decide to do it, I will be looking at them very, very seriously for pardons. Very, very seriously. They've been treated very unfairly. So there you go, Murphy, president, obviously chastened by the uh, uh, January 6th hearings. Uh, oh, he's all shook up about it. Clearly. <laughs> promising. He, he might as well just throw pardons. a little cash, you know, 1-800 number, throwing 100 bucks toward my don't steal the election defense scam. And, you know, I'll sell you a pardon, too. I mean, what yeah. a piece of human tooth decay this guy is. And there you and, go. And maybe... Don't worry about cooperating because I'll take care of you later. Right, exactly. Ignore law enforcement. Who needs them? Yeah. Get a red hat. You know, uh, well, we have an expert on gaslighting and all <laughs> kinds of other things here. Amanda Carpenter from The Bulwark, my uh, friend from CNN, former uh, communications director for Ted Cruz. Amanda, welcome. Hey, guys. We offer you, We, you know, we don't pay our uh, fellow hacks to come on the show, but uh, Murphy and I offer uh, uh, prophylactic pardons for everybody who comes on the show for anything they say here. Will you throw in a beer mug for free? People pay us not to be asked to do the show. That's how we monetize <laughs> this thing. We charge a lot not to bother you, to be honest. Yeah. Podcast for pardons. I like the ring. The ring yeah, there we go. Call 1-800-HIT-THE-ROAD-JACK. Uh, we'll get you out. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know. Did we talk about this last week? I can't remember whether it was the Pence, the whole Pence drama, was that before or after our last podcast? Because, you know, this pardon thing on the weekend just underscores the point that I think all of this is is speaking to, which is, you know... Uh, whether it's encouraging Pence to break the law uh, or any of the other things that he's being accused of here or not accused of, but his behavior is being illuminated here. And this thing this last weekend to this freedom, was it a Freedom and Faith Caucus or something? Yeah, Faith and Freedom event in uh, Nashville, Texas, a big group of evangelicals, sort of a you know, where all the 2024 hopefuls, you know, should be giving their stump speeches. But notably, not Mike Pence. I wonder yeah. why he would want to go there when Trump is giving a speech talking about how weak he is and dingling pardons for the people who wanted to kill him. I mean, that really should have been an audience for Pence. Note that uh, now faith comes before freedom. So the <laughs> Supreme Court kind of picked up that theme, but we'll talk about that later. But my point is, this guy, and I've said it a million times, but it's really coming back in stark relief. I mean, the problem with Donald Trump isn't his positions particularly, although I disagree with almost all of them. Uh, his problem, the, the problem is he does not believe, he does not believe in rules and laws and norms and institutions. And he thinks you're a sucker if you go along with them. He thinks it's a, you're a sucker if you abide them. And that's like a death knell for democracy. Nor does this guy believe in ideology. 
what those of us uh, like Amanda and I who started on the conservative side used to call the cause. Uh, he doesn't believe in any of that. Everything is transactional. Everything is narcissism. And everything is can he hack, cheat, steal, lie, uh, and corrupt the system to get whatever his insane, egomaniacal demands that his appetites crave at the moment. And that's that's why he's ultimately kind of an atomic clock of corruption. And the the scary thing is because he sees the world that way, he assumes everybody else is corrupt as he is and would act accordingly, which is a very warped way to look, uh, uh, to perceive the world and how, a very warped way to operate. But can we talk about how that speech was also received? Because I think that is just as important. We can talk about, you know, Donald Trump not respecting the rule of law. But I am struck by the fact that you had a group of evangelicals applauding Trump saying that he would pardon the January 6th rioters. I mean, he's not drawing any distinctions between the people who are just, you know, maybe trespassing or the people who assaulted police officers, right? Like other Republicans have tried to draw those distinctions. He is not. And he's also saying, you know, should I decide to be president again? He's not asking for their vote. He's treating it as a done deal. Take it. Yeah. 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 Should I decide to be president again? I'll look very seriously at pardoning the rioters and clap, clap, cheer, cheer from the faith and freedom audience. That's what worries me. Yeah. You know, I mean, you see it in polling. He's, he's the, he is the, uh, by a wide margin, the front runner for the Republican nomination. Again, did you guys read in any, anything into if I decide to do it thing? I mean, that was sort of interesting to me. Uh, I mean, uh, that's a, I don't know whether he, the lawyers told him just throw that in there so it doesn't look like you, are, but that seemed heavy, heavier with I inference. Just him, him teasing it. I think him, you know, throwing a little chum to the media. If I run, of course, I could easily win. Blah blah blah, without committing himself. Um, and and just one, you know, from being around the GOP for a, a long and painful political career. There's one caveat I've got to put. Uh, a celebrate, celebrated is the word we use, Murphy. <laughs> a celebrated political career. Thank you. Uh, the, and and I'm not. I don't want to de-emphasize the horror here because I'm I'm completely bonkers about it. But it has been true generally that the closer you get to a rally crew, a rally crowd in the off year, you get into the hobbyist class a little bit. Uh, it's kind of like the Model Railroad Collectors Club. A lot of people like Model Railroads, fewer subscribe to the magazine, and there's some that are in lifelong feuds over whether the guy who, you know, got to do the prayer at the meeting had the wrong kind of purple, you know, car on their train set. And so this is that aspect of the party, the kooky hobbyist sub, sub, subset. That said, it's still an indicator. It, it doesn't align with the average Republican voter, but it's a, it is at least a second cousin. So it's a bad tell. In the old days, we'd bottle a lot of this stuff up. Every once in a while, let the kooks have a platform committee or something. They can argue about fluoridated water. But now it's breaking through. And that's what Trump's done by removing shame from American politics. It's encouraged. And, you know, you saw the same thing in Texas with, uh, with the insane, insane state party platform, that, which was basically, you know, this, you couldn't even do uh, comedy parody as out the door as it was. And what happened to Dan Crenshaw? Yeah, but can we add one more point just on the should I decide to do it? Because this is an audience of the most committed, uh, Murph, as you pointed out, I think Trump has to be careful to remind people that, you know, it's essentially his. 
He doesn't want to give the idea that there's going to be a food fight in the Republican Party for the next 2024 nomination. I mean, that was also what this event was about. You did have people like Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Ted Cruz giving speeches there. But he's got to keep reminding this audience that, you know what, I'm actually the incumbent here. It's mine if I want to take it. And they responded accordingly. Yeah, you know, the funny thing, the the, the sort of paradoxical thing about this is, I don't know that he wants to fight for this, uh, you know, the nomination. But if he does, the more the merrier for him, the more he needs as many candidates in as possible because he has a hard core. And that hard core is uh, maybe enough to win winner-take-all primaries. Yeah, it's funny. He's in, he's in conflict because his ego can't handle that, but the real politic of dividing up the vote, it's very much in his interest. Amanda, let me ask you a quick question because you've labored in these vineyards uh, for some time. Uh, I would say on the spectrum, David thinks he's probably a very strong front runner with a good shot to win again. I actually think he got his frame bent a little bit over the last year between his own crazy and Jan 6, not in a way that will be meaningful for the midterms, but within the party. So I actually think he might have more of a fight. I'm not sure he's as much of a lock as conventional wisdom suggests. What say you? I think it's his if he wants to take it, primarily uh, because I look at the Republicans running the state parties in influential areas, and there's no way they're going to throw their weight uh, behind a somebody that's challenging him. You know, I've said this to Axelrod uh, in the past. I don't think there will be a Republican primary. I mean, they canceled contests in some of the states in 2020 because the state parties didn't think that anybody should be challenging Donald Trump once he had so many um, states lined up. And so I, I have a hard time seeing how Ronna Romney McDaniel is going to go around to the key primary states and set up debates and these contests for people to challenge Trump. I, I just do not see that. Yeah, that'll be an interesting test on the debates. I don't know. I'm the fool on the hill. I I, I smell the opportunities too big, and Trump is a little bit done. But who's going to challenge him? I mean, everybody will say Ron DeSantis, but who is going to set up that infrastructure and actively say, because in order to challenge Trump, you have to say, I would be a better president than him. You can't do the stance, well, I like his policies, but not his personality. I mean, you have to say, I would be a better fit. Oh, no, you do. Time to move on. Time to carry the torch forward. Uh, I Look, I think DeSantis actually plans to try, but it'll all be based on where Donald Trump is a year from now, what he's done to mm-hmm. himself, what the world has done to him. You, you, you're going to have, you know, I mean, Asa Hutchison, governor of Arkansas, not a real contender against him, but plotting to run. There are a few others like that. I don't know. I just, I agree. The current accounting says Trump, but I'm not sure. What about your boy Cruz? Yeah, that's a, I bet he would if he could. Yeah, he would if he could. Ask Jeff Rowe, who, uh, whose campaign Jeff Rowe would like to run in 2024. Oh, Trump. Come on. He's already sliding through well, the door there. There you go. <laughs> that answers your to. question. But on, on the point that you raised a second, though, Murph, I think a, a real winning argument for a Republican who wants to challenge Trump would be, listen, if you want Republicans to win, even if Trump wins the general election, which is you know sort of a question mark given how much of the uh, broader electorate he's offended, he, he he only gets one term. If you start fresh with a good Republican, like insert whoever, you have a possibility of getting two terms. Donald Trump, once he's elected in 2024, is at best a one-term president. Yeah, and the move beyond plurality, if they can be convinced it's not a hostile attack on Trump, which is the, the rub, not easy, yeah. uh, Trump smells of risk. 
And thanks to Joe Biden and the Democratic, uh, and who knows, maybe there's some great comeback coming. It's happened before. But right now, the, the, the general election looks so doable. Why do we introduce risk when we can get a less crazy taste filling or less filling taste great version? That's a rational analysis. Uh, the question is whether this is a rational time, and he's yeah. got he's got this following that is uh, is significant and un you know listen if rationality applied we wouldn't have the Texas Republican Party passing a resolution calling Biden the acting president and declaring that Trump had won the election. Yeah, that that's right. But I, it, there are a lot of data points in the big Republican verse, uh, and as bad as that is, and they are, I don't think it's the the complete set. The dream lives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, boy, nobody in the history of human civilization is going to lord this over you more than I am. If I prove <laughs> to be right, for no. all the crap I've taken for uh, for years here, to seeing what could be the future. So you don't think we should take that seriously, Murph? I just want to draw this out a little bit because, you know, I, right. I can kind of agree with you, like, you know, party platforms, who really cares except for the fact it was loaded up with all kinds of crazy, including that apparently now it should be okay for people who are opposed to homosexuality to discriminate freely without civil or criminal penalties, if I'm remembering that new plank correctly. But the candidates all over, not just in the Texas Republican Party platform, but running for key positions in places like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Arizona, Nevada, you name it. They are running against Democratic elections, right? They're all election deniers. No, no, so look, I really I, wish this I, I were an isolated you. case. Yeah, I know. I just want to draw this out. Yeah. I, I, I take it very seriously. I'm just not ready to predict the next war yet based on the, the current and last battle because parties evolve. But no, it's grim and depressing, and there's no doubt that the the rats we infected in the lab with, with Trump anthrax are now organized, running around, and many of them are running party operations. Um, so yeah, it's a huge deal. Yeah, well, what's the carrot that leads us out of this? You just ultimately convince them that this is not a winning path forward because these people get beat? I think Trump is what, what we call in the show business a sweat act. And I think a DeSantis who would, if you had a time machine or somebody of that ilk with a base in money, would be horrifying six years ago under the normal standard. The most powerful word in advertising being new. I think Trump light, younger, generational, really lines up well against the, the R's. Trump, meanwhile, keeps compounding into his own crazy more and more because we don't get good Trump anymore from a Republican hack point of view. Used mm -hmm. to have good Trump. He'd be doing gas prices now and the Chinese are running circles. No, no. Now it's all me, me, me. The election were stolen. I'm crazy with the dribble coming down the chin. I don't know. I don't know if they can sustain. You know, this is a big inferno in our politics that consumes things. And there are guys who I think are trying to put together a Trump lighty thing. Uh, or guys and women, we're seeing yeah, where ton Nikki of Haley lands on, you know, version 12. But mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I'm not ready to call this thing locked yet. I sent All too right. many hairlines. Okay, we, 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 we've we heard you. We've ascertained that. Uh, let me go back I'm to trying to help you guys. I'm trying to bring you through it. Listen, I I've long ago concluded that this podcast is <laughs> an hour of therapy for you. <laughs> that was Radio Free GOP. I'm 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 going to begin I'm charging you now. a uh, a fee for the therapy. But on the hearings, today's hearings are focused on Georgia. Seems to me this is the most threatening uh set of facts. Georgia and Arizona legally, yeah. 
legally, but the Georgia thing seems so threatening to Trump. There's an open grand jury in Atlanta, uh, and you have him, you basically have him on tape saying, brother, you got to steal this election for me. I mean, he doesn't use those words, but when you say you've got to find 11,780 or whatever the number was, I just need you to to find 11,780 votes. And then you threaten the guy uh, and his political future if he doesn't. That, to me, comes the closest thing. You know, I I don't know that the Justice Department ever gets to the point where they're going to indict a former president. I don't even know whether they should, which will make everybody's heads explode. But this thing in Georgia seems really threatening. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, there's going to be uh, witnesses that the public has seen in the past in the form of especially uh, Gabriel Sterling, who gave that really prescient warning in December 2020, where he stood before um, television cameras and blasted Trump's rhetoric and said, someone is going to get killed. Someone's going to get shot. This is going to lead to violence. And he was absolutely correct. But in terms of the criminal, I mean, I, I can't tell you what's going to happen with that. And I from where I sit, I sort of get frustrated when I see progressive activists demand that the congressional committee is responsible for, you know, sending criminal referrals and making Merrick Garland do something. They're giving the public the evidence that everyone needs. I mean, the best way to hold politicians responsible is through the political process, truly. Um, But at the same time, Given all this evidence that the committee is producing and putting into the public square, I don't know how Merrick Garland ignores it. At some point, even if he doesn't, you know, have an indictment, he's going to have to say something because our Department of Justice can't ignore um, things like Georgia election officials saying the president wanted me to find, you know, manufacture votes. And we have all this evidence of him trying to illegally and unconstitutionally overturn an election. So I guess hey, we're going to hear a lot about him personally involving himself in creating these slates of false electors. But do we think this will work politically in the midterms any better? I think from the coarse, divided country's hyper-partisan point of view, this is Democrats going through entrails looking at details. I mean, I agree. I think Mary Garland ought to go after That's really good alliteration there. New stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still puzzling through the whole thing about the toy train. The model train collectors. I think we're going to get the model train collectors. I think we're going to get a lot of of complaints. Hot mail. About the way you sullied the model train. What about the person he called a piece of tooth decay? I'm still trying to figure out what that looks (laughs) like on a piece of floss. (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, that's it has an orange wig. It's not hard to find. <laughs> no. no, no, but my point is, does this thing, which is kind of in some ways the simplest narrative, he called up the elections official in Georgia and said, steal the election. Does this break through in the way the other stuff doesn't in the midterms right now answering? Listen, Democratic I say breaks? the answer is no. And I, and yeah, I, you know I what? I so get too. frustrated with people who, not you, Murphy, but you know, you hear a lot of people talk about this as a midterm you know we we went i i went nuts on some democrats a few weeks ago here for for saying you know this is this could help us uh re 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 reset our midterm no it's a terrible way to frame it so in every dimension this is not about midterms this is about fundamental democracy issues that people need to hear this is about what happened and 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 what's still happening i agree and i think when the dems do that they make a, a huge mistake 
But this is the simplest one. Do we think, I think this politically may break through a little more than the rest. I just don't think it'll be material. No, I mean, I don't think it's a certain, you know, midterm silver bullet, but if it causes, you know what, we just need two to 10% of Republicans to look at some of these election denying candidates running on the Republican ticket a little bit differently. I mean, that, that would be a huge political win. And the way that I see this trickling down a little bit yeah. It's not so much as, oh, okay, Donald Trump was responsible. But, you know, I'm down in Florida speaking with a lot of, you know, Republicans who supported Trump in 2020, 2016, and um don't don't like the January 6th commission, don't like the hearings, but all are w- almost universally willing to admit it's it's enough. It is time to move on, right? And they really think that to go back to DeSantis, they absolutely think DeSantis is the answer that he's going to run and that's already a solved question. And I have to kind of go back to them and say like, no, this would be like a tremendous upheaval in the Republican party for, for that conflict to happen. And I'm not even sure DeSantis would want to do it since he's a young man. Uh, and it's not clear that Trump would give it to him, but there is just sort of a general fatigue with the chaos and a, you know, frustration that Trump won't let it go. Even if they're not at all, receptive to these questions about you know democracy and insurrection and all that let's stop for a minute and listen to a word from one of our fine sponsors you know david our producer allison is a health nut and one of our sponsors here we give her full credit for this because they're a product that she uses literally every day Now, she tells us she started taking Athletic Greens because, well, she didn't have time. She didn't like uh, big jugs of complicated uh, vitamins. She wanted to get the energy, the immune system optimization, and frankly, she wanted a supplement that actually tastes great and wanted to see what the hype was all about when she first heard about Athletic Greens. Now she's been taking Athletic Greens for months, and she's like, and Amazon, she, she's Wonder Woman. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all the things. And you know what, Mike? It costs you less than $3 a day. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. And you know what? It's not just Allison. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. I love the founder's story. Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and wound up on a complicated supplement routine to recover. It cost him a hundred bucks a day. He said, enough of this. There's got to be a better way. So he created Athletic Greens after experiencing, frankly, how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition routine on your own. But he did it, and now you can get it. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you 
a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash hacks. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hacks to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Be like Allison. Use Athletic Greens. Allison, put that tractor tire down. I don't think it's going to affect the Republican-Democrat balance all that much. I mean, there may be some people who are so, you know, it may be that Pennsylvania would have tilted one way uh, without uh, 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 Doug Mastriani, Mastriano mm-hmm. as, the, uh, as the candidate, although I think that's closer than anybody uh, cares to think about. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but. Um, it is interesting, you know, you do have some primaries. I was looking this week at the, uh, for example, the gubernatorial primary in Arizona, this woman, Carrie Lake, who is a former news anchor, but she's a kind of flat out, uh, election denier, uh, Trump, Trump, Trump down the line. Vindictive. I mean, really threatens to prosecute and jail anyone who wasn't willing to assist Trump in overturning the results in Arizona. I mean, you could she is bonkers. I've been following her for, you know, about a year. Yeah, she's completely insane. Yeah, you could certify her. Yeah, it's she's maybe not the most extreme, but one of the top two. She's right there with Doug Mastriano. Also front runner in the polls. Yep. Down there. Multi it's a multi-candidate front uh, primary. You have Matt Salmon, former congressman in there, uh who is getting, you know, some vote, but there's a woman named Karen Taylor Robeson who is uh, more of a mainstream Republican who has been creeping up in the polls. But it seems to me this one is a big test, this primary uh, for Republicans. If uh, if, Kari, if Carrie Lake uh, wins that primary, I mean, she's sort of in the Mastriano uh, category. And so if you have a bunch of these around the country, it could impact on the outcome. And one message that Republicans could take from the primaries uh, from the election is if some of these uh, if some of these Trumpy wackadoodle candidates get nominated and lose, you know, that would have that. Yep, it's a message, too. You would think that would be a message, you know, then let and then let's get to uh, Brother Greitens in uh, Missouri, uh, who has who's leading in the primary by the way leading in the August. primary absolutely yeah, and his stone cold crazy discredited even Josh Hawley called him out and said he ought to not be elected and now he's he got a bunch of his weirdo friends to dress up in camo and march into an empty house notice how he went in last Captain <laughs> yeah. Courage that's why he didn't he didn't get back into the seals we should explain to everybody in case you haven't seen it and I'm not going to play yeah this we can't play this because thing. but Basically, he uh, appears uh, with a uh, semi-automatic weapon and uh, an assault weapon and talks about hunting rhinos, Republicans in name only. Two weapons. He's carrying the assault weapon and he's got his chrome on his I mean, he's dressed up in a whole costume, you know, badass costume and does a walk and talk. They reenact a kind of raid on a house, implying that they were raiding a rhino uh, 
And for that reason, we are not disclosing the location of either of my fellow hacks today. Oh, no. We rhinos particularly love the Benelli M4 shotgun. So I'll look me up. (laughs) Yeah, But I mean, the truth of the matter is. You ever seen a rhino kill an elephant? Google it. And let me add to let me add to this discussion the fact that Adam Kinzinger got the most yeah threats ex- so did Fred vi- uh, uh, the most f- vile I talked to Upton about this he's on my Axe Files podcast later this week but someone is going to get killed someone is going to get killed and this guy thinks it's his ticket to the United States Senate. So what message would it send in Missouri? I'm sure Democrats would love Greitin to be nominated. Can we talk about that for a second? Because I really, I mean, about three times a day, I think of the fact that Josh Shapiro sitting there in Pennsylvania was so excited to run against Doug Mastriano that they ran ads. I'm sure, yeah, I know you guys talked about this, but I I really, I want to hear what David thinks about this because I hear from other Democratic operatives, though I (laughs) I highly doubt that, that they... Feel lucky. They would like to run against these ultra. No, let, let, me, let, let, me, let okay. me just say my my sense of the Pennsylvania Democrats, Shapiro's people, and so on, is they they know that they're the dog that caught the car, and you know now we have public polls that show that race at four points, yep. and I think they feel a particular sense of urgency because they know if this thing goes sideways, yeah, they own this, it. yeah. Exactly. But, you know, the, uh, we talked about this last week, Amanda. This tactic is being copied all over the country now. Here in Illinois, you know, there's going, I, there was a uh, candidate who w- had, you know, $50 million from Ken Griffin, who's sort of a more of a center-right Republican here, uh, not who wanted this guy to be nominated for governor. He, uh, Democrats, began running ads a month or six weeks ago identifying his opponent as the most conservative and it's in the guise of an attack ad but it it, yeah. it essentially uh makes every point that a conservatives in illinois uh would you know it's it's touching all their funny bones uh and now that guy is winning he's going to win the primary yeah. I mean, there are other factors here. He he's got his own billionaire's money, and so there, you know, there there's another factor. But uh, in Colorado, in the Senate race, this is happening. It's happening all over. So, and it's been around a while as a tactic. The difference is sure. the the chemicals are more dangerous now. Yeah, Claire McCaskill, you know, won her Senate race in 2012 by uh, getting a guy named Todd Aiken nominated. You all remember that. But yeah, this is. This is a little scarier. Uh, so, I mean, I guess, Amanda, what I would say to you is we'll see how this all works out. But it could turn out to be a terrible, terrible lesson if, in fact, these people end up getting elected to, to public office. Here in Illinois, I don't think that's going to happen. And it probably won't happen in Pennsylvania. But there's just there's material risk now. And, and Shapiro owns that. Yeah, just, you know, politically speaking, you know, the morals of this aside, because I just think it's extremely right. bad. Faith I forgot and a this bad is idea. Hacks on Tap. Yeah, yeah. So politically speaking, I think it's extremely hard for a candidate like Shapiro or whoever else is doing this to look voters in the face and say, these MAGA candidates represent some kind of existential crisis. Well, in the primary for your own political benefit, you were boosting. No, no, let me it's let me terrible. just say exactly what he will say. And he will not be wrong about this. He will say... I pointed out before the primary just how dangerous this guy is. I pointed it out, and I and now everyone knows it's true. 
And so don't blame me for for telling the truth about Doug Mastriano. That that is what he will say, and that's a colorable argument. No, yeah. no, and that that's where the Murphy Pack says oh, you spent two million helping this kook. We will spend two million helping you if you or your campaign manager can pass a polygraph that you weren't trying to help this clown win the Republican primary for your own narrow self-interest. I mean, I agree he's got an argument, but it's a it's a sticky, political, slippery guy kind of thing. Yeah, that's the argument he has to make. Yeah, I didn't I didn't say it wasn't sticky. Yeah, what, what he needs is an eight point poll and to get the election about something else and keep it there. But, you know, again, Pennsylvania. So here's a, here's a pivot for you. Ready? Yeah. Do you think the gas tax holiday might help Mastriano lose if Joe Biden no. uh, can do something <laughs> about gas prices, David? I, I wanted to talk about the gas price thing because the gas tax uh, holiday, you know, back in 2008, this was an issue when gas prices were at the quaint low price of $4. Uh, and, um, John McCain, who was uh, already uh, the, um, the the nominee in waiting, and Hillary Clinton both endorsed a gas tax holiday, and they asked Obama about it, and he uh, said no. Uh, and he did this on his own. He said, look, we tried this in Illinois and when I was in the state Senate, and what happened was the, the, the middlemen gobbled up the difference, and it never actually went to consumers. And he said it's a scam, uh, and I, you know, it's a thing that's meant to give politicians cover, but it actually doesn't help consumers. And you know, and he then laid out, uh, you know, the need for uh, a different energy strategy, and it actually it helped him in that election. But right now, Biden is in a corner because uh, gas prices are so out of sight, and people expect the president to be able to do something about it. Uh, which, you know, this is a global problem and it's, it, they, they can't. They can't in the short term. They can in the long term, but not in the short term. So, you know, he hinted over uh, the holiday that he, uh, you know, may uh, reduce, that he may go for the gas tax holiday, uh, you know, and he's going to announce it later this week. Uh, my questions are too, will it actually, will there be any guarantee that consumers actually see that? relief. And number two, once you start a gas tax holiday, even if you have a limit on it, how do you stop it? No, it's lousy policy. It, I, look, it is a, and the Dems love this kind of stuff, though we're pubs are totally on the bandwagon now too for the pandering, but it's how you try to help good people with bad policy. It'll have a very small impact and it'll set up Biden for more failure on this because it'll create expectations that won't be delivered. And then, as you say, when you need that highway money back again in the future, it be, it's hard to undo like any you know entitlement or that is portrayed as a tax increase. By the way, the answer here, other than more, <laughs> more right of center energy policy, is um, we should tax personal vehicles based on weight, not on price. Yes. But anyway, that's a... No, I, I agree with that. But just on the point of whether... As long as we don't tax people based on weight, because you and no, I... No, no, that would be a be... threat. To, we'd both have to move to the tax haven of Liechtenstein, yeah, immediately. <laughs> the one point in favor of cutting the gas tax is that, you know, when Larry Hogan did it in Maryland, I know a lot of people were driving over the border to get that cheap uh, Maryland gas. But when gas prices are this high, I, I don't think voters are going to want to... Uh, 
send Joe Biden a thank you note when it's only going down from 450 to 425. Yeah, yeah. yeah a quarter at the tank is is not. And, you know, our gas tax here in California is like $1.85. I mean, it's, it's the highest in the country. But the point is, giving people a quarter just pisses them off more. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. Murphy, I know you are a fitness buff. You know what really sucks. And what really sucks is getting in that zone on the treadmill or pushing to finish that last rep. And guess what happens? Your earbuds fall out of your ears. The music stops, pumped up mood, all gone. But guess what? Well, it's even worse than that, David. They roll under the treadmill on the rubber band. And, you know, believe me, it's a nightmare. And then you throw your back out, reaching for... Anyway, that's why Raycon's new fitness earbuds provides a maximum secure fit so you'll never experience that again. And I can tell you, I've tried them. Uh, I can vouch for that. Raycon's fitness earbuds help you take your workout to the next level with a power of premium sound and smart tech. And that's why they were featured in Esquire Magazine's Best Gadgets of 2021. They were even voted Best Earbud of the Year. Well, they should be because they were developed and tested to stay in your ear. You know, that's like a big earbud job, and they actually got the engineering right. So even when you move your head around, whether you're working out, jogging, or just doing anything active, the earbuds stay in your ear, deliver maximum comfort, and they sound really, really great. They've got the interchangeable gel tips so you can get the fit right, and they have a new cool thing, which is their ear stabilizer attachment to create three layers of earbud personalization. That's how you get that great, perfect in-ear fit. Plus, this is what I love about them, the battery life is unbelievable. Nine hours of playtime and 52 hours of battery on standby, so you know they're working and you don't, you know, better than our battery life. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) With Raycon, you get the -the top-of-the-line earbud functionality and high-quality sound at half the price of other premium audio brands. So now's the perfect time to pick up a pair because right now, right now, Mike, You can get Raycon's fitness earbuds for $20 off at buyraycon.com slash hacks. The way this thing works is when you enter in the secret code, all you got to know is hacks15, the number one, the number five, hacks15, and then you unlock an extra 15% off, hence the 15 in the hacks word. This is a limited time offer, so get in now before it's gone. That's code hacks15 at buyraycon.com slash hacks. Let me uh, raise a a, a related point. Biden is going to travel later this month to Saudi Arabia. He condemned the Saudis uh, during the campaign for their butchery of uh, Khashoggi, the Washington Post reporter. But now uh, he's going. In fact, the crown prince's uh, brother was here this week talking with the administration in preparation for that visit. He's going, you know, I think the widespread perception is going to be that he's going uh, because he wants the Saudis' cooperation on on ga- on oil. Uh, I mean, whether, whether, how much it, it involves other strategic issues or not, that's the perception that having condemned them, he's going to go hat in hand, uh, asking them to give us more uh, more oil. And you know, my my fear for Biden is that there is this perception now that has hardened. That he's a good and decent person who is uh, old and who is not particularly strong. 
And, you know, I think it's unfair in many ways because I think he's done a lot of positive things here, including his leadership on Ukraine. But that's the perception, and I don't think we can deny it. You hear it in every focus group. Doesn't this fuel that perception? Totally. Totally begging the Saudis. It's like a callback to Carter in 79. But it's tough for Biden because the Saudis are a geopolitical fact of life. Right. And they have more influence over oil uh, prices than fooling around with temporary tax holidays do. And there's a Ukrainian, you know, aspect uh, to the geopolitics of oil and the Chinese picking up the demand. I would just say, boy, oh boy, can't you guys open up the old Nixon playbook? which is a pretty damn good playbook, and don't send the POTUS. Now, that, yes. that's clearly what the Saudis want because they want legitimacy after they went out and brutally murdered a, a journalist in one of their embassies. So the price of playing is to have the president come in and, and, and you know do a little wax and polish job on their bloodstained regime. I think you got to deal with them. I think they are geopolitically an ally. Uh uh, it's the, the, the fact of life. But boy, oh boy, sending Biden there to me strikes me politically and thematically as having a lot more downside than upside. Business with him, yes, but President Visit, no. And also why the House is trying to open up an investigation into Jared Kushner's $2 billion you know, payout from the Saudis. Yeah. I, I think it's sort of a bad look. Like, oh, the, you know, this is such a corrupt arrangement. Jared Kushner shouldn't have done it. Saudis are bad people, chopped up an American or Washington Post journalist but Biden's going to go over there. I mean, th those messages don't click. And I agree 100%. You could have deputized someone else if, if you had to. Yeah, you always need a Kissinger. Get one. <laughs> well, one other question relative to this, this sort of thematic that is set in that is plaguing Biden. I've fallen off my bicycle plenty of times, uh, but not in front of cameras. Uh, he did. Even with three wheels. That's the amazing part. <laughs> you take those now, turns I've, too fast. Those are I'm on a, I'm, I've graduated, Murphy. I forgot <laughs> to tell you. I've gone through the phases of life where I went from a three-wheeler to a two-wheeler, and now I'm back to a three-wheeler again. <laughs> you know what you need is an e-bike, Dutch Gazelle. <laughs> I'll just put in a plug there. I have one. They're great, and you don't fall down because they're easy. <laughs> We're going to get to the advertising later, all right? But the uh, <laughs> the question I have is: you remember uh, you remember Jerry Ford tumbling down the yeah every the, week, you know? Yeah, and it doesn't help, obviously. But does this come and go, or does this become sort of a symbol of something? I think it's a pretty small one because he's Biden, and people know he's kind of fit. And his little jig yeah. outside the church service was brilliant. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's a misdemeanor, but I think could have been a lot worse. Yeah, I don't think it's a question of it's his physical fitness. I mean, we see the guy biking, he's walking on the beach. He's obviously a physically fit person, especially for his age. I think the question that a lot of people have is what their his, you know, mental agility keeps up with his physical. And so if you see both of those things sort of failing, that's that's the dun dun dun. And that's where I think it's kind of unfair because I actually think the issue is performance in front of cameras, not mm -hmm. how he's performing the job. Uh, he's obviously making presidential decisions. As I said, you know, the handling of Ukraine is an, is, a, is an example of that. But um, And, you know, yeah, he's they, done stuff. They should make a meal out of it. Put him back on the bike. Look at that tough old bastard. He keeps going. Bringing him back to the beach the next day 
was a smart idea. Yep. And he, you know, he does, he looks a hell of a lot better, you know, in his beach gear than you or I, Murphy. So you've never seen me in my uh, tour. De and I hope never to. <laughs> <laughs> the spandex. Let me, let me ask you guys about two other things. We talked about the ten- Texas convention. Jeff, roll uh, Senator Cornyn's reception at the Texas uh, Republican convention. So let's take our country back, starting with Congress in November. Thank you. God bless you. And may God continue to bless our great state of Texas. They were booing John Cornyn because he has, this is the state where the Uvalde massacre just occurred. He, he was, he's negotiating very modest, uh, gun safety, uh, measures, uh, with, uh, with a bipartisan group of senators, but he's been designated by Mitch McConnell, no great favor to him, actually, uh, to be the lead sponsor, uh, the, the lead negotiator here. And they were booing him for that what what is this i mean by the time this uh podcast appears maybe they'll have come to an agreement but does this how chilling are uh is that to have the guy booed at his own party's convention in his own state well it's bad but it's also the model railroad collectors club again and we could never take schwarzenegger yeah no it's called a callback comedy gold you know, Arnold couldn't go after a while to a Republican convention uh, in California because, again, you're down to the hardcore of the hardcore who love the performance art. Still, it's a pretty extreme damn example. I doubt Cornyn will back off at all. That would be the mistake now. And he should dig in and, and grind right on through spitballs against a battleship. That's how we should show strength. Yeah, I'm actually I was kind of surprised to see John Cornyn make an appearance, uh, given I, I think that right. was probably a likely expectation, because as you pointed out, this is the hardcore and John Cornyn being in leadership and the deputy to Mitch McConnell is not viewed as a selling point for this audience. Right. And so they know that he is actively negotiating this deal. They don't want any deal. They don't want anything touching anything that even goes close to the Second Amendment. And the fact that this kind of bill has been negotiated, you know, behind closed doors. Nobody knows what's coming. They're expecting a betrayal from him. Well, everybody kind of knows what's coming. I mean, it's it's very very modest stuff, but they view everything as part they view everything as a slippery slope. Any kind of sensible uh reforms are a slippery slope. Yeah, yeah, that that nugget. I mean, there there are gun groups to the right of the NRA, like Gun Owners mm-hmm. of America who criticize them for their sellout policies. There's a, it's a business. The hotter you can get the coal, the more you can raise in direct mail fundraising. But to Amanda's point, which I just want to hang a lantern on because it's a good one, I would bet dollars to donuts the corn and staff knew the, mm-hmm. the scheduling officer says, hey, let's go down to the convention. Why? And get screamed at. Well, if not, it's a bigger story for not showing up. Let's go take the lump and triangulate. Mm-hmm. So, And a Republican staffs a lot have to think about, can we go to a show up at a convention, the risk of being booed now? Um, it's just the new reality of the grassroots of the GOP. Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. You know something, and this is a lesson the White House could learn, David. A great team can quickly <laughs> adapt to a changing world. But how do you quickly build a great team? Well, you need people, and for that, you need Indeed. Indeed you do. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire people all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, 
Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Find great talent faster through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match assessments and virtual interviews. And Murphy, with Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job descriptions literally the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. Their software platform is fantastic. It really helps you find the right people. You can do virtual interviews. You don't have to download any special software. That's it's, it's just very simple to use. That's always my favorite part about a product like this. You can get right to the work and you can get it done. And they have a reliability assessment tool. So they can even predict candidates' punctuality and work attendance, which, uh, boy, I never would have got hired. But I think that's the kind of thing employees want. Better yet, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. It's an unbelievably powerful hiring partner, delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to TalentNest 2019. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent first. And if you sign up for Indeed now, you can get a $75 credit toward your first sponsored job. Plus, earn up to $500 extra in sponsored job credits and Indeed's virtual interviews. Visit Indeed.com slash hacks to learn more. Claim your credits at Indeed.com slash hacks. Terms and conditions do apply. Indeed.com slash hacks. Need to hire... You need indeed. The Roe decision may come down any day, uh, and Amanda, I, I'm surmising, but I don't that that y- you have a view on the substance of it. Uh, but on the politics of it, what I. I want each of you guys to sort of rate the degree on the Richter scale of politics, and especially relative to the midterms that that decision is likely to have, assuming that it comes down in in, in much the same form that the draft, the leaked draft suggested. Well, on the Republican side, you know, I, I think you saw a lot of Republicans who were worried that it might be the full overturning of Roe, but I... I just don't see it being that big of a deal going into the midterms. I know my Democratic friends feel much differently, um, but until the Democrats can show that they can actually mobilize the vote and make this a number one top election salience issue, I I don't think it's going to be a huge factor. And, you know, a lot of Republicans can message this pretty well. Democrats on the other side of the wall are for abortion anytime, anywhere, and taxpayer funded, and we want to protect a life. And so, you know, we will see what happens. Um, but I, I just don't see it being the number one thing in the midterms. I actually don't think it's going to be a big issue for Republicans. And I don't think it overrides the sort of day to day concerns that people have like inflation. But Murphy, it does have the potential, does it not, to energize some voters who may have sat out to, to tip some voters who, uh, particularly suburban women, who uh, might have sat out? Yeah, I mean, I, big Democratic problem they always have and, you know, never found a way to solve because people are people is that the younger voters tend to only participate in presidential years. So they always try a lot of tricks to drive turnout and it generally fails. About 30% or in some cases more of presidential year voters don't show up in the midterms. And right. one of the biggest cohorts that doesn't show up, as you know well, are young male voters. 
And young males are actually more pro-choice in polling than young women. You know, the great mm-hmm. invisible group in American pop culture is a pro-life woman under 40. They you find one on television um, uh, in, a, in a scripted show. So will this drive some young men who will cut overwhelmingly Democrat to do in a natural act for them, which is voting in an off-year election to help Democrats? Maybe. I mean, I kind of look at if I were the Democrats, good news, look at that. Suddenly ha- appeared in front of us is a big toolbox and that we can make lifeboats out of that tool. The problem is we're on the deck of the Titanic. So I think it is a tool to Dems in some suburban districts and some places, some of that young turnout. It is something important to a lot of people they didn't have before. But will it be material enough to really make a difference? You know, maybe in a, in a swing state where you have a crazy Republican Senate candidate and, you know, it becomes a thumb on the scale to some extent. I mean, I, I, can, I can work up some scenarios, but I don't think it's the be and end all. It will, it, it will be a factor. Yeah, I think part of it is going to be what the, what the aftermath is in terms of how states. We know that, you know, you have these 13 states or whatever who have trigger laws that will ban abortion immediately. Uh, we'll see what other legislatures do. And are there, you know, egregious examples that, that further uh, stir the, the pot on this? But um, Yeah, watch Pennsylvania a little bit, which both has a pretty strong pro-life vote and a really important, you know, suburban yeah, suburb- vote. Yeah. And then you've got this weird Uncola Fetterman who may catch on or may turn into Bernie and get slaughtered ideologically. And then you got Doc Oz who's got his own problems and a big Republican tailwind all at once. Yeah, well, Pennsylvania's going to be interesting. We haven't heard, by the way, from Fetterman uh, since before the primaries. He's still recovering. No, from no, he went stroke. out shopping. He went like to yeah. Walmart or something. I saw a picture of him in a parking lot. Yeah, no, he played it perfectly. How do you know it was him? You, it was him. <laughs> yeah, red Chinese robot. Yeah, I was yeah. just checking QAnon.com. They got a whole he, report. Six eight. I didn't see that. All right, L.A. Should we talk about the city of angels? Yes, because uh, every you know, I'm glad that we delayed this discussion for a couple of weeks because I know that you're close to Rick Caruso, uh, who's running there on the uh, the Republican well, friend the, on Great the quasi Republican line. He appeared on election night to have finished first in that runoff. He spent $40 million, so you'd think he should. <laughs> I told him I could have gotten him to second for $35 mil. Maybe $5 million ahead. <laughs> now, now that the ballots have uh, all been counted, he, he, it appears that he's going to be behind by about seven points to Karen Bass, the congresswoman from L.A., and I'm thinking, Murphy, I'm looking at what the vo- the votes that are out. I, I saw one poll where uh, three quarters of the supporters of the other candidates uh, said that she was their second choice. So it seems to me she's in a pretty good spot here. Well, I've, I've always thought Rick should kind of run as the underdog. Uh, I mean, if you back up, first of all, this election wasn't that important because it was basically about who got to be there in November, which two. So Caruso got what he needed. That's not the way it was interpreted the night that... No, no, it was played like the Super Bowl because there was so much media excitement about Caruso. And as you know, the media always wants to play class and identity and money. I think they wanted to lump it in with the San Francisco... uh, Yeah, I think there's some of that too. But a a couple of just factors, because you got to step back. There's a very unique and different kind of race. First of all, LA mayor's races are generally pretty low turnout. And they happen in like off years, and it's very good for the public employee unions. This is the first one in forever that's going to be in November, 
with a big regular off-year statewide turnout. Not a presidential year, but a lot bigger. Second, you got to look at the city of L.A. A lot of the, when you hear about L.A., hey, Beverly Hills, all those guys in purple Bentleys are going to be for, no, no, they don't vote in an L.A. mayor's race. You look up the, the actual city limits of L.A., it's very different than L.A. County, which has 10 million people in it. So the last Democratic primary in Los Angeles for president, Bernie Sanders, comfortably won. So this is not a right-wing nut electorate. In the city, it's probably about 12% best-case Republican registration. Now, Rick is a Democrat. He's been one since about 2010. For days. Uh, no, no. He he, <laughs> he he wasn't broke my heart. He, uh, he supported Jerry Brown in 2010. He left the party in 2011, become an independent. So... What what what's it going to happen? Well, you're going to have a real turnout. So this 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 er, this smaller turnout is not as important a measure of what we're going to have. But Karen Bass, the Democrat member of Congress, a uh, longtime politician in Los Angeles, is going to have a lot of advantages. So if it becomes tribal, it's her. What's fueling Caruso is there's so much frustration over the crime surge, over homelessness. Mm-hmm. We have one of these DAs that wants to send you a stiff note if you, you know, commit minor crime. Three warnings and you get a really stiff note. So that has created this moment where there's... You sound like you're speaking from experience, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm looking at my stack of hot iPods here. Go to our website. We'll have soon. Yeah. There's pardons for podcasts here. <laughs> so the bottom line is Rick is a thematic candidate. And in that dimension, he's beating her. But she has all the kind of... L.A. comfort, Democrat left-wing advantages. But, you know, it's going to be a kind of a fair fight, though she has a little advantage, I think. Well, a fair fight. I mean, the fact is he's a billionaire and has unlimited resources. So that has its advantages. No, true. But she has institutional advantages. She has she has tribal advantages. Right, you're, right. You're right about that. But I also staff. think, and she also, she was a speaker, as you know, because you worked with a Schwarzenegger, she was the speaker. Yeah. And very businesslike and fairly effective there. I'll give, right. her, I'll give yeah. her props. Right. And so it'll be interesting to see how she presents herself uh, in this general election, because I think people do want answers to the uh, issues of crime and uh, and homelessness. They may, they may not want sort of sloganeering, you know, clenched f- fist sloganeering about it, but really practical and workable ideas that that fit with the feeling of a city uh, and a and a d- diverse community. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, we got to get to that. We got to get to the mailbag. Let's uh, do that. It's listener mailbag. All right. If you have a question, Hack and Rouge, you can send it to us at hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe to Murphy and Gibbs's it's the Farmer's Almanac of Politics, all kinds of stuff we don't talk about here. The Hacks on Tap newsletter. It's free twice a week by email. You just got to get it through your spam filter, which might be a tricky decision. Just go to hacksontap.bulletin.com, hacksontap.bulletin.com. And finally, a super fan shout out to our friend Charlie Brogdon, who's laboring mightily as a young law student in Washington, D.C. Met his parents this weekend. They're very nice. I'm sending him a mug. Okay. Farmer of Farmer's Album. What do you do in that? Do you tell people when to harvest their crops in that newsletter? We do. It's all in there astrology movie reviews dating advice <laughs> small engine repair the reading of entrails yeah no we do a whole entrail thing <laughs> in 3d thanks to the internet okay i just quickly. was hiking on the entrails the other day anyway go ahead question number six for david axelrod from matt if joe biden were to announce now that he is not running in 2024 
feel like Kreskin, it might happen. Might this improve the Dems' chances in the midterms? In other words, dunk Biden, do you win in October? My instinct is no. Uh, I think that would be viewed as a uh, admission of failure. And uh, I, I don't think that would help Democrats. I do think, and I've said this before, that he needs to, especially if he's not going to run. And, you know, this is a complicated question with a guy who's going to be 82 uh, by the time he would take office again uh, that he has to figure out. But Democrats need him to make a decision if he's not going to run early because if he makes a decision early, that gives a chance for other Democrats, some of whom may not be well known, to go through a campaign and prove their mettle. Uh, look at uh, how Pete Buttigieg, for example, emerged during the last primary season. But that can't happen if you don't have a long run-up. If the president says in October or September of 2023, hey, I'm not going to go, that really limits the field in a way that doesn't advantage the Democratic Party. But should he do it before the midterms? No. All right, now, I got one for Amanda. This came up in the hearing, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, Doug asks, we learned the Trump campaign raised $250 million by lying about what the money would be used for. They called it essentially a legal defense fund. Is that illegal? And do they need another legal defense fund to... I'm adding that part myself <laughs> to deal with the fact that they had an illegal legal defense fund. Shocked, shocked, lying in politics. But how brazen it was. I don't think a lot of people were keyed into this fact. Uh, it was Zoe Lofgren. She had that great line, the big lie was a big ripoff. And I think that was one of the best sound bites that has come out of the hearing in its entirety so far. But yeah, essentially what happened is that uh, Donald Trump raised $250 million for this um Official election defense fund, which did not exist, was not a real thing. Um, and I am sort of of the spirit. If you're dumb enough to give Donald Trump your money, you deserve what happens. But this is clearly, you know, <laughs> just false marketing. But election laws don't cover it. And so I would expect this to be part of the recommendations that ultimately comes out of the January 6th committee, because after they do their hearings, they're going to have to produce a report. And so I would expect there to be some kind of campaign finance reform, um, maybe as it relates to joint fundraising that Trump even did with a Republican national committee that might, you know, make this sort of thing illegal. Hey, I'm still waiting for my Trump steaks and vodka, so uh, I'm not surprised about this. It reminds me of my old uh, scam back in the Robertson era, Christians against secular humanism. Make your check payable to cash. <laughs> all right, Murphy. Dave says, all kidding aside, so mm. that's a perfect segue. Why wouldn't Gina Raimondo run in 2024 <laughs> if she's so great and Anyone who's listened to this podcast understands her virtues. And Trump 2.0 is such a threat. Shouldn't we draft her if she doesn't run on her own? Fox, play the appropriate music. <laughs> she alone can save this struggling country, my friend. So yes, run, don't walk to begin a national movement. I, I hope she does. She'd be a tremendous president. I think she's a general election winner. Here's her problem. Organized labor hates her because uh, she actually said no to him a few times as governor and uh, state treasurer, controller, whatever the hell she was of Rhode Island. So Before she became governor. I mean, she was governor. Before she Island. became governor. She, no, unlimited pensions, maybe not. So she's got internal Democratic problems, but I can see her VP. I can see her moving up, and I think she'd be, as I've said a thousand times, 
a tremendous presence. You know where she may move up. It seems, and this goes to another question that we we're not able to get to, but I'm going to try and meld them together. I think Janet Yellen is not going to be around after mm, this, interesting. this yeah. uh, tournament. Meaning, Meaning not I because of she, health reasons, right? No, I think I yeah. think honestly, I don't think she was that eager to have the job in the first place. I think it's been a tremendous strain. She's up in years herself. Uh, and my guess is she'll step away after the midterms and that will leave an opening. And, and Gina Raimondo would be... You know, she's done a good job as Commerce Secretary. She's clearly well versed in uh, in finance. I, I would think she would be a very strong candidate for that position. So we'll see what happens there. Well, David, we we should close the show with one last note of remembrance and affection for a great journalist, great American, and a dear friend of both of ours. Yeah, Mike. Mark Shields passed away this past weekend, and I'm sure most of our listeners know him well. Really truly one of the great commentators and analysts about American politics, wry, wise. But the thing that made him so good was he too was a hack. He was someone who had been involved in politics, had been involved in campaigns at a very high level, understood uh, the workings of politics and the workings of government uh, from the viewpoint of a of a practitioner and that's what made him so special and so valuable along with that wonderful irish leprechaunish style of his that was so beguiling yeah mark was a tremendous friend i have so many fond memories as i know you do of being on the campaign trail with him great stories you know he was a marine a notre dame man an absolute patriot and beloved as a former operative before he became a journalist. Uh, I'm going to link on Twitter one of my favorite Mark Shields columns called Find a Gimmick, which I reread after hearing of his passing after a full, full life and made me smile to think of our old friend Mark Shields. Rest in peace, Mark. Amanda Carpenter, what a delight to have you. Yeah, thank you. Will uh, you you are a, you are a great hack and we will have you back <laughs> soon. All right, I want my pardon in the mail. We are sending you a train set, our new official show <laughs> gift here. So thank you for doing the show. And thank you for being on the right side of history in the GOP, if you know what I mean. Yeah, same to you, sir. You guys can signify on your own time. Yeah, yeah. We got to go. Yeah. No, no. Come on. Come on. I get my windy clothes. It's an equal <laughs> opportunity here. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks. David, we'll see you soon. All right, brother.